Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Faith Christian. So glad you're with us. Glad you're tuned in online. A uh, couple of things by way of announcement. Uh, Ryan, if you want to hit that video for me. Uh, the first thing we just want to mention real quick is uh, we are in the process uh, of recruiting and, and signing, registering uh, kids and students uh, for summer camping, Christian camping at Round Lake Christian uh, Camp. Um, out other side of the um, near Mansfield. Uh, we've supported this camp for longer than I've been a part of this church, and uh, Christian camping's always been a big part of my life. I grew up going to camp, uh, grew up taking kids, I grew up uh, in, in my early years of ministry, took kids and youth groups to camp, even worked at a Christian camp for a while. As a matter of fact, I even met my wife at church camp. True story. Uh, we love Christian camping, and we would love for you, your kid, your middle school or high school student, your elementary age kid, to participate in a week of camp at Round Lake Christian Assembly this, uh, this summer. Uh, you can register online, roundlake.org, but Noah and Kara would love to talk to you. They're both planning to be there a couple of weeks this summer. They'd love to let you know when they're going to be there so that your kid can be there at the same time uh, that they will be there. It's Round Lake Christian, uh, uh, Round Lake Christian Camp. Or again, roundlake.org. You can go get more information at the website or check, uh, check out how to register uh, right there uh, on their website. So uh, pay, pay attention to that, especially you parents and grandparents of uh, elementary school and middle school kids especially, but there are some high school groups out there as well uh, coming up this summer. I also want to mention to you that tonight at 6 o'clock, you're invited to join us for a uh, community worship night. Uh, some of our musicians, and Andy in particular, have been invited to participate in a worship night that's going to be at the Branch Church. That's right downtown, uh, next kind of next door to the Quaker. And uh, at 6 o'clock tonight, we're going to have a, a worship service uh, with a couple of other churches, and we're inviting you uh, to be a part of that as well. And uh, that'll be at 6 o'clock tonight uh, downtown at the Branch Church, and hope we'll see you there. <clears throat> Pardon me. We're moving on this morning in this sermon series we began last week that we're calling Potholes. Potholes. The idea of the series is that along the road of life, as you and I navigate the roads of life, there are some potholes that we have to learn to avoid. Some potholes that we have to navigate ourselves around because if we fail to, to, to look out for these obstacles, if we fall into these obstacles, they can do some real damage to our lives. And as a way to help us identify some of these potholes, uh, we are walking with Jesus through the last week of his life, and then we're walking with him as, as we walk towards Easter together as a church uh, this spring. But we're walking with Jesus on this last week of his life. We often call this the Passion Week. It's from the time that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, which we talked about last week, all the way to the cross and then through the empty grave that we'll celebrate on Easter Resurrection Sunday together. But what we see is we walk with Jesus in this last week of his life. He also had to navigate some of these potholes. The, some of the same potholes that you and I must deal with. Last week we talked about the, the, the appeal of the applause, of the crowd, and how the, the crowd can steer us in the wrong direction. Today I'm going to talk about one of these potholes that you're going to be surprised that Jesus has to deal with. Because we don't think about this one in terms of Jesus very often. But it is right here in this Passion Week. And, but it's a pothole that I guarantee every one of us has had to deal with. And that is the pothole of anger. Anger. How many of you have ever struggled with anger? 
You're all lying. There's like three hands up in the room right now. Every one of you is lying. We, we, we all have suffered, <laughs> dealt with this issue of, of anger. Every one of us has something in our lives that makes our blood boil. Something, uh, that's something that makes us angry, makes us mad, something that we want to fix desperately because it just infuriates us so. I know there's some big issues that we have to deal with when, when it comes to things that make us angry, but I also know most of the time the stuff that really gets me angry is the really trivial surface level stuff, the stuff that just really doesn't matter. And I thought maybe as a kind of mass therapy for all of us today, we would just identify a few of these. So here's a, these are mine, these may not be yours, but here's just a couple of the things I know they're not important, but man, they really get my, my ire up. And the first one is, is people who drive in the left lane really slowly on the interstate. And that's some of you, and I pray for you. As I'm saying bad words about you as I pass you on the right, I'm, I'm praying for you, I really am. Uh, there's just something about this that just makes me infuriated, but not, not nearly as much as the second one. The second one is Walmart. Walmart, I had to go to Walmart this week. First time I've been to Walmart in over a year, I think. You know they've remodeled on Walmart? Did you know that? It's somehow worse. I don't know how they did it, but it's worse. And it's busy, and it's crowded, and I hate it, and it makes me angry. And I couldn't wait to get back to the car. Here's the third one, just real quick. Do you know how to properly put toilet paper on the roll? Because there's people in my life who don't know how to do this right still. Despite all the screaming and yelling, they don't. Somebody said, beards are cool, mullets are not. So that, maybe that'll help next time you have to change the toilet paper roll. All right. I realize these are stupid things. These are simple things. These are things that don't matter at all, but they drive us crazy. They're surface level. But all of us have some things that get under our skin, and they affect us, and we have a way of reacting to it. So what I think we should do, before we get to the moment with Jesus— I think we just need to, to, to before we look at, at this pothole uh, that Jesus deals with, I think maybe we better see how maybe, uh, maybe we can identify how we deal with the pothole of anger. So, so each of us has a style. When it comes to anger, we have an anger style. Because all of us have different w ways to deal with anger. Let, let me show you a few. Maybe you can identify with one or more of these styles of how you deal with anger. The first one I'm just going to call the toddler. The toddler. And everybody knows what I'm not talking about. This is the three-year-old who is kicking and screaming and laying in the floor of Walmart because they're not getting the toy that they want. They're not getting the thing they want, and they can't have it, so they're just going to scream, mine, 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 and throwing the biggest fit. I want it, I want it, I want it. And you hear the yelling, and you hear the kicking, and you hear the screaming, and that's not even the kid. That's just the parent trying to deal with the kid. And here's what I've learned, that you can have this style of reaction to anger when you're three or when you're 30. Or when you're 73. It, every one of us can react in, in anger in this style. Some of us, our anger, anger style is just simply put our foot down and throw a fit and say, I want it, it's mine. Mine. Here's the second one. Some people deal with anger like a trash compactor. You know what a trash compactor is, right? It's, in its literal form, it's a beautiful thing. It's a gorgeous appliance that sits under your counter in your kitchen. It, it works great. It's usually very nice and very shiny. It looks just like everything else in your kitchen. It blends into the, your, your, your motif of your kitchen. It looks great. But slowly, what this thing's doing is just pushing the trash down and pushing it down and pushing it down. Because once you get up close to the trash compactor, and once you open it up and you see a week's worth of garbage and banana peels in there, it stinks and it's leaking and it's gross and it's nasty some of us our anger style is to look pretty and press it down and press it down everything's fine and we press it down and we press it down i heard about this couple 
and he would always just yell and scream and carry on every time he'd get angry and she would just sit there okay okay that's fine and finally one day they'd had this argument and he'd just blown up and blown three shades of red again and and finally he's just so mad at his wife just sit there okay Okay, it's fine. And he says, why, why are you so calm when we're fighting? How can you remain so calm? What do you do to deal with your frustration? She said, when I get frustrated, I just go clean the toilets. He says, what do you, how does cleaning the toilets help? She says, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> that's some press down issues there, isn't it? And that's what this anger style is, this trash compactor. When those of us who are trash compactors, we press it down, and we press it down, and we press it down. We act like everything is fine, but guess what? One day, <laughs> one day it begins to stink, and it begins to leak, and it stinks to those who are closest to us, and it leaks out onto those who are closest to us. Here's the third one. We'll call this one the Terminator. The terminator, this is the person who just absolutely goes berserk. They, like the husband in the story, they scream, they yell, they throw things, they punch holes in walls, they kick the dog, they, they get in the car and they squeal out of the driveway and they yell, I'll be back. Just like the terminator, that's where I got that one. That's the terminator. Here's number four, the stealth bomber. This is the one you never see coming. They're just kind of lurking in the shadows, all quiet, out of the argument, not really paying attention, acting like everything's fine. Then all of a sudden, before you know it, boom, they come in and their bombs are exploding everywhere and they fire off that sarcastic missile that just devastates everybody, the stealth bomber. Here's the last one. Some of you are also the prosecuting attorney. This is the person who, they don't get hysterical, they get historical. And you don't wait for the fight, you take the fight to them. And sooner or later, you've got them on the defense stand, and you've got charts and graphs and exhibit A through K and witnesses and expert testimony, and you let them know how they're wrong and how you're right, and you work through all the data and all of the evidence, and then you close your case because your, your anger style is like that of an attorney. Well, here's what I've noticed about all of us, no matter what your anger style is. Here's what I've noticed about all of us. All of us have stuff that makes us mad. All of us have to deal with this issue of anger. All of us have ways in which we react. And it's kind of funny when it's something small and stupid like the toilet paper or having to make a trip to Walmart. But oftentimes, these anger styles extend into the stuff that's not so funny. That's not so surface level. And oftentimes, our inability to deal with the anger pothole lays waste to relationships and it destroys marriages and it breaks down our family relationships and it even ends lives. And it can keep us from following God the way we want and need to follow God. Here's something interesting about anger. Anger reveals to others what matters most to me. When I get angry about something, that's revealing to those around me what is most important, what matters most to me. And that's where we're going to pick up this story with Jesus in this last week of his life. As Jesus is walking down this road, he's now in the city of Jerusalem. It's Monday of the week that we call the Passion Week. <clears throat> and we see Jesus encounter something going on at the temple that just stirs up anger in his heart. Did you know it's possible to be angry and not sin? 
Well, Jesus shows us how to do it. Take a look at what the eyewitnesses tell us. This is Matthew, Matthew's eyewitness account of this. He was there, Matthew 21. He writes it like this. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you you have turned it into a den of thieves. All right, now what's going on here? Let me see if we can kind of set this picture a little bit for us. Back in these days, in this ancient culture, in this first century culture, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, they when they would go to the temple, specifically when they would go to the temple for these big, high, holy holidays and celebrations and feasts, and we learned last week, if you're here last week, this week of Passion Week, this week of this last week of Jesus' life is going on during the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. So there are people from all over the world who have come into Jerusalem, huge crowds of people, lots of busyness, lots of traffic, lots of, lots of like Walmart, right? Lots of stuff going on inside the city of Jerusalem, and especially at the temple during this huge week. So when you enter the temple, especially at Passover time, when you came to the temple, you had to bring with you two things. The first thing you had to bring with you was a sacrifice, you had to bring a sacrifice, and this sacrifice was going to be offered on the altar of the temple for the forgiveness of your sins and your family's sins. So the sacrifice was, what you're supposed to bring with you is, was a lamb. You're supposed to bring a sacrifice to, to, to sacrifice a lamb if you could afford it. A lamb. If you couldn't afford it, you would bring in a couple of doves, birds, a couple of, of doves. And those, those lambs and those doves, they could be purchased right outside the temple. Was that wrong, that people were selling lambs and doves right outside the temple for people to go into the temple to take their sacrifice? No, that wasn't wrong. Here's what was wrong. The people who were selling them, they knew that the people who needed these, these animals had traveled sometimes from thousands of miles away to come to the temple for Passover. And they, and they knew that they had to have these sacrifices. They knew it was really difficult to travel that far with a lamb and a couple of birds. So they set up, in this once-a-year event, they set up these, these booths so they could sell this stuff. What was going on was they were, they were gouging the prices. They were jacking the prices way up. Some might call this capitalism. In this particular instance, Jesus calls this price gouging. He, he says this is taking advantage of someone who is in need. And so this ticks Jesus off. Now, the second thing you had to have with you as you came to the temple, first was your sacrifice. The second thing you had to have with you was the, what was called the temple tax. You had to bring some money to give to the temple. This would allow for the function of the temple. Um, this is where we get the, whole, the idea of bringing the whole of the tithe into the storehouse. That's this picture. That's the tithe that's still practiced even now. So people back then would show up from all over the world, and they would bring with them their currency, their money from their country, from their home, and they would need to exchange that currency for the currency of the temple so they could pay the temple tax. Well, just like the, 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 the animal sellers, there's people outside the temple to handle the currency exchange, and they had a fee for that as well, and they're jacking those prices way up there as well. Jesus, what Jesus sees here is people taking advantage of people in need and Jesus sees people, the, the, these, these buyers and sellers, as creating a roadblock for people to meet and encounter God. He sees these people as people who are in the way of people who are trying to get to God. That's what made Jesus angry. 
And Jesus' anger boils over into this action where he turns over the tables and he runs them out. Now, I don't know how you read this particular passage. I'll be honest with you. This is one of these passages of Scripture I, I, just, I don't like because I don't know what to do with it. I, I don't know what to do with it. And you might, when you read this, and you've heard me read it a second ago, you might think Jesus has just gone off the rails, and he's having, you know, the Terminator anger style, and he's flipping the tables, and having this meltdown, and he's running through the temple and knocking stuff over and yelling all that. But I, let me just point out, just help, have you noticed with me a couple of things about Jesus's anger? I think it might help us with our anger as we navigate this pothole that is our anger. First thing I want you to know is that Jesus' anger is controlled. It's controlled. We read this, and we probably put ourselves in it, the, the flipping of tables and driving things out. We, we, we see this as a, something that Hollywood would portray, right? Um, but I want you to know that Jesus' anger is controlled. Now, we read Matthew's version of the story. Matthew was there. He was one of the eyewitnesses. John tells us this story as well in his biography of Jesus. And when John tells us this story, John adds this one little bit of information that Matthew doesn't include. John says that when Jesus does this, Jesus actually takes some straps of leather and he braids them together into a like 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 a whip that he uses to whip and snap the whip to scare the animals out of the temple and that's what jesus does so if you think about this this is not just a, a reaction jesus takes the time to make this whip he has to braid this together this would take a little bit of time this would be the equivalent of count to 10 before you say something this would be the equivalent of cool down before you go off on your kid this will be the equivalent of take a deep breath maybe sleep it off and deal with it in the morning this is jesus calming down controlling his anger before he breaks out into the action this is this was jesus was precise in what he did he was controlled you see passion and being passionate about something which jesus was here passion is not the problem Jesus was not only a person of passion, he would never tell you not to be. The problem is not our passion. The problem is not our emotion. The problem is what we get passionate or emotional about. Because for most of us, and you knew this already, most of us, the only thing we get passionate about is ourselves. Think about what really makes you mad. Think, think about what really bothers you, what really agitates you. Think about the things that you dread. Don't they all have one thing in common? You. James, uh, Jesus' brother, actually deals with this in his uh, letter in the New Testament. He deals with the issue of anger. He says this in James chapter 4, verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? What a great question. What is causing, just go ahead and answer the question. Just turn to the person next to you and tell them. What is, what is causing the fights and quarrels among you? You don't have to name names. Don't point at anybody. But what causes fights and quarrels? I'm guessing, I'm just guessing here, but I'm guessing here most of us probably answered the question this way. With somebody else's name. What's causing fights and quarrels about you? I'll tell you who. It's not a what, it's a who. That's how most of us answer this question. With a description of somebody. My husband, he's never home. My wife, she always does this. The boss is always this way. The neighbor always does this. Never Moses yard right. We've got some friends, and when they do that, what I've discovered is when we deal with this question of what's causing the quarrels and the fights among you, most of us would say it's among us. It's the among you. That's what's causing the problems. In other words, it's somebody else's fault. 
It's somebody else's fault. If they would only do this differently, if they would only act differently, if they would only fix this about themselves, if they would only listen to my advice, if they would only do it the way that I would do it, if more people thought like me, then everything would be okay. The problem is always among us. It's always somebody else's fault. I heard a dad describe, describing a fight that his two young daughters were having, and the youngest, the baby, came in and said, Daddy, she hit me in the face! And the older one says, No, no, Daddy, her face hit my hand! It's always somebody else's fault, right? Just always blaming each other. That's funny when you're a kid. But when you get older, we do the same thing. I've sat down with couples from time to time and they come in with their laundry list of, of what the other one is doing wrong. If she only, if he only, the problem is always among us. And James wants to know, before we go any further, James wants to know it's deeper than what is among you. Look what he says next, the second part of this verse. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you he says the problem that we have with anger is not out there it's in here look what he says next verse 2 you want what you don't have do you know why we get mad at each other do you know why we have fights with other people it's because we wanted something and we didn't get it and now we're mad about it it may be something as small as our plans for a Saturday afternoon. It may be something as big as your plans for retirement. But we had a preconceived idea of the way it was supposed to work and what it is that we wanted. And when we didn't get what we wanted, when it didn't work out our way, we got angry. Every angry, hurt, depressed person that I've ever met once you can get past all of the he said, she said, if they would only, once you get past all that, it boils down to this one fact. I wanted something, and I didn't get it. And now I'm the victim, and I'm mad. She said she'd always be there, but then she left. He said he would always be faithful, but then he cheated. The boss promised me that raise, and then I didn't get it. I was told one thing, and then another thing happened. Listen, you may be the victim in a situation, but your anger, your anger boils down to this fact. You wanted something, and it may have been something that you had every right to. It may have been something you deserved, something you had earned, something you had the right to expect, but you didn't get it. And now you're mad at somebody. And some of us let that anger just last for years and decades. So James next cuts right to the point and tells us what we need to do about this. What we do, not what we need to do, but what we do about this. He says, so you scheme. You wanted something, you didn't get it. So you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous for what other ha others have and you can't get it, so you fight and you quarrel to take it away from them. Some of you are thinking, now hold on a second. I, I, I've been mad before, but I never killed anybody over it what james is saying here is when you get mad when you get so mad because you didn't get what you wanted you will stop at nothing to either ruin their joy for having it 
or to take it back for yourself. Think about the things that you've done when you were angry. The lies that you've told. The rumors that we've spread. The, the ways we've erupted. The things we've said about each other. The cheating on each other. The cheating on the boss. The stealing from the company. Why? All to try to make things even. To get what we think we deserve. Because we wanted something and we didn't get it. James says, be careful. Be careful because you will go after it like you are going to wage a war against them because you want it so badly. That's what anger is. Well, Jesus had a different focus. For all of this passion and all this emotion that we have, Jesus was able to control that emotion and that passion, and his was directed a little bit differently than the way we tend to direct our emotion and our passion and our anger, which leads us very nicely to the second thing I want you to know about how Jesus responds in his anger. Jesus' anger is focused on the eternal. It was focused on something that would last. I wonder if we could, you know, on this video screen behind me, if we could just hit play and play a moment in your life from 10 or 15 years ago when you were really, really, really mad about something and you were throwing a fit and you were the toddler and the Terminator and the stealth bomber all at once. You're really, really throwing a fit over that. I wonder if you could watch that on the screen today. I wonder if you would look at yourself and go, why was I so worked up over that? I look ridiculous. I can't believe I lost it over that. And the reason that you would think that is because what you were so frustrated about, what you were so angry about, was temporary. And it's not an issue anymore. It was not eternal. So I wonder if we could learn something from Jesus here as we walk on our road of life, as we try to navigate this pothole of anger. When we get angry, let's, let's follow Jesus' principle here. When we get angry, ask yourself this question. <clears throat> is this temporary or is this eternal? Is it temporary or is it eternal? Remember what made Jesus mad? The thing that Jesus made Jesus so angry was the thing that he cared about the most. And the thing that he cared about the most was people connecting to God. That's why this moment in the temple drove him, drove him to anger. Because <clears throat> these, these, the, 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 these merchants, these money exchangers, they were keeping people from connecting with God. And so it made Jesus angry. So the lesson here, <clears throat> really the lesson here is bigger than just anger management. And I hope you'll take some of these anger management principles with you. But I want to make sure you understand this. Understand what it is in this moment that Jesus cares the most about. Jesus is modeling for us on this Monday of the Passion Week. This is days before the cross, days before the Last Supper, days before the empty tomb. Jesus is modeling for us before his crucifixion. He is showing us, reminding us in this moment how much he cares for you. Because he cares about people getting in the way of people connecting with God. That's what he cared about the most, was people connecting with God. Yes, he's going to model this for us on the cross. He's going to model this for us when he comes back from the dead. But in this moment, he is showing us how passionate he is about people getting to his Father, and he doesn't want anything to stand in the way. That's what Jesus was for. He is for you. He is for you. You might have a lot of people in your life, especially when we start talking about things that make us angry. You may have a lot of people in your life that you think are not for you. 
You don't think your boss is for you. Maybe the government's not for you. Maybe people in your own family, you think they're not for me. You may question whether or not any other person is for you, but don't ever question this. Jesus is for you. One of the things that we've said here at this church for, <clears throat> for nearly a decade now is that we want to be known, as this church wants to be known, for what it is that we are for, not what it is that we're against. But what is it that we are for? Because we believe that the church should be for the people in our community connecting with God. That's why our mission statement is helping people find and follow Jesus. And that's what we want to be about. We want to be for men and women and students and children coming and finding a relationship with Jesus and then following Jesus with their lives. That's what, and the reason we want to do that is because that's what Jesus was all about. That's what Jesus was, was for. Jesus was for helping people find and follow his heavenly father. He was for connecting people with God. And Jesus went to every length possible to make that happen. So my question for you as you wrestle with this this week, again, what is it that makes you angry? And is it temporary or is it eternal? Let me pray for you. Those who are serving, if you want to go ahead and take your places, prepare for our time of communion. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for being for us. And for this example, this moment from the life of Jesus, when he is literally fighting so that people can connect with his heavenly Father. We thank you for this picture, for this moment. And we pray that, God, that we would, we would learn to use this picture, this example, these principles of Jesus to help us when we deal with a pothole of anger in our own lives, to be controlled, and to realize not everything we get upset about is worth getting upset about. Some of these things just don't last. But, help, Father, help us to focus on the eternal, the things that do. 